Thank you so much, Tanner, for your gracious words, and uh, thank you for all who have attended this weekend. We really have been looking forward to it. As we were planning it months ago, I was part of the planning committee. Tanner, as as well as some of the others, uh, said we'd really like you to do a particular message that we heard years ago. And uh, I sort of balked a little bit and said, you know, um, we've got these great guys coming in from the outside. I'd rather just defer to them. And they said, no, we, we really want you to do this. So I guess, you know, every chain has to have a weak link, and I'm willing to be that for the weekend. So um, you've got me for the next 30 minutes. Uh, <clears throat> you're kind of stuck not by my choice or my design. Uh, I do have, I decided in the middle of the night last night, I, actually about 4 o'clock this morning, to provide an outline for this talk. So that has been provided. If you don't have one, just raise your hand. The ushers have them and they can spot you and give you one. I think most probably got one, but just raise your hand if you didn't receive one of these outlines and, and uh, they'll, they'll make sure you have one as we uh, jump into this, this topic. <clears throat> Uh, as I said, this was a topic that some of our staff asked me to address. Uh, it's a different kind of message than what I usually preach. Those of you who know me know that I preach exposition, take a book of Scripture and go through it. I rarely do something topical, but just the background of this message. Uh, uh, I served as a youth pastor in Florida for a while, and then when I came on staff here at Grace, I was youth pastor uh, initially. And during that time, and even after I shifted positions to senior pastor, I spoke at a lot of camps, a lot of retreats, a lot of seminars and that type of thing, uh, always speaking uh, in those settings to uh, junior high, high school, college age, young people. And one time after a number of years, I just sat down to reflect on all of these young people I had interacted with through the years. And I thought, you know, what has been the difference between those that walk with God against the flow long term and those that don't. And I'm I'm talking here about genuine Christians. Certainly there's always the issue that maybe someone doesn't really know the Lord and therefore they they bail out, they defect. But I'm talking about genuine believers. Uh, What has been the difference? And so I just began to think through young people that I had worked with and ministered to and been involved with. And I thought, well, you know, Tom and Bob and Bill and and Sally and Sue and Mary and, and this one really did well spiritually this one didn't what was the difference and so I just began to take notes uh, to myself and jotted down notes and I thought you know here here's a key principle here's a key decision that this one made or a key decision this young person didn't make and so as I began to jot those down I came up with eight and the eight are there before you on the outline so uh, just from a practical standpoint an observation standpoint I really believe that these eight decisions young people need to be made by you if you are going to walk with God long term if you're going to walk with God over the long haul eight key decisions eight key commitments however you want to word it uh, these I think sum up uh, maybe not all but certainly some of the key components if you're going to walk with God against the flow. So what are they? Well, they are there before you, and I would just say this, they're in no special order except for the first one. In other words, we could have put them in any order, but number one is number one, and after that, the ones that follow aren't necessarily in any order. But number one is number one, and that is this. If you are going to walk with God long term, if you're going to walk with God against the flow of the young people in our day and age, you must, number one, make a decision now that you will be a God-pleaser. In Galatians 1.10, the Apostle Paul said, Do I seek the favor of men or of God? Am I still striving to please men? If so, I should not call myself a servant 
of Christ. This is fundamental. This is basic. This is first. You must decide. You will be a God-pleaser, and that is a God-pleaser as opposed to a people-pleaser. You have certainly heard about, I'm sure, the issue of peer pressure. Peer pressure, by the way, doesn't stop when you get out of your teen years. But peer pressure is the term used to describe the tendency to just go with the flow. Do what everyone else is doing. Just go the direction of everyone around you. So if you're going to walk with God against the flow, you must make a decision to be a God pleaser. What does that involve? At least three things. One, it means being willing to stand alone. Jesus warned us in John 15, 18, and 19, don't be surprised if the world hates you. The world hated me. It will probably hate you. You need to be willing to stand alone. This was, this, I was confronted with this right early on in my walk with Christ. I was a sophomore in high school when I surrendered my life to Christ. I was in a large high school in Clearwater, Florida. We had about 4,000 students in the high school, about 1,000 freshmen, 1,000 sophomores, 1,000 juniors, 1,000 seniors. And during my first two years of high school, I was sort of in the in crowd. I was on the football team, and I was popular, and, and so I had a lot of friends and so forth, until one Monday, I came to school, surrendered and sold out to Jesus Christ. And the guys on my football team really didn't know what to do with me. The guys in my classes didn't know what to do with me. And I went from a guy who had a lot of friends, who was very popular, to a guy who sort of dwindled down to having one or two, three friends. And in a school of 4,000, it was a very lonely feeling to have to stand alone. But that's the decision you must make. You must be willing to stand alone if you're going to be a God pleaser. It also involves learning to say no. Proverbs 1.10 says, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Let me just paraphrase that. Don't go along with what sinners invite you to do. You have to learn to say no. That is so difficult for some young people. It's not that hard of a word to pronounce. You know, you just kind of curl your mouth a little bit, start with a consonant, no. But it's hard. Let's practice it together on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. No. That's all you have to say. My son, if sinners entice you, don't consent. Say no. Just don't go along with them. Don't bend. Don't give in to the peer pressure. You must avoid the trap of popularity. Turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 12. And I've got a number of verses here on your outline. We'll turn to some, and some I'll just quote and mention to you. But there are a few that I want you to see with your own eyes. This is one of them, John chapter 12. And the sad reality is that there are many Christian young people who fall into this same trap that John described in his day. John chapter 12 Verse 42 tells us, Nevertheless, even among the rulers, that is, the rulers of Israel, the rulers of the Jewish people, many believed in him. Now, if you've read the Gospels, you know that would not have been a popular decision to make, to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Many believed him, but but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. And here is one of the saddest verses in Scripture. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. It is a sad reality that far too many Christian young people are described by that verse. They love the praise of men more than the praise of God. They would rather be popular with their peers, with other teens, than to be 
a blessing to God's name. So decision number one, commitment number one, if you're going to walk with God against the flow, you must make a decision to be a God pleaser. Number two, learn to get back up after falling. Proverbs 24, 16 says, a righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up again. In other words, sometimes the only difference between a righteous, a godly young person, and one who's not very godly is that both sin, both fall, but the righteous one gets back up and gets back on the road. And the one that doesn't really become righteous in his or her character is one who stays down when he or she falls. Through the years, I have seen Satan use two lies to cause devastating effects in the lives of Christian young people. Let me give you those two lies. Here they are. Lie number one is this. It won't hurt to just do this once. It won't hurt. It's no big deal just to do this once or try this. That's a lie. Because if it's wrong, it does hurt. There are consequences. There are ramifications. Sometimes severe, maybe sometimes not as severe, but there are always ramifications. That is a lie that it won't hurt if you just do this once. I can remember years ago when Larry Bird played for the Boston Celtics. I was a huge Boston Celtic fan. In one particular year, the Celtics won the championship. They won the championship, and in the draft... That very next month, through a weird set of circumstances, even though they were the champs, they got the first pick in the draft through the lottery system. And they picked a young man, Len Bias, out of Maryland, who was a phenomenal basketball player. And when they drafted him, I remember watching the draft. I was so excited when they drafted him. I thought, I can see championship banners for years. I mean, they're already a great team, and now they're getting Lenny Bias. And they are going to dominate in the NBA. I was so excited. I got up the next morning, turned on the news, or picked up the paper. I don't remember which it was. Headlines, Lenny Bias died last night. Right after the draft. What happened? Well, as the story goes, from what I could gather, to celebrate his draft, to celebrate being drafted by the Boston Celtics, he decided to go out with some of his friends and party. And again, this, this is the story that was reported. So he decided to do cocaine, which he had never done before, supposedly. Never had tried it. But the lie was, it won't hurt to do this once. I know you're going into the NBA. You can't be on drugs, but it won't hurt to do this once. On that occasion, it cost him his life. The consequences aren't always that drastic. But it is a lie from Satan that it won't hurt when you do, if you just do this once. If you just try it. Here's lie number two. Soon as Satan gets you to fall for lie number one, he comes in with lie number two, and it is this. Well, now that you've blown it, forget it. I mean, it's, it's done. I mean, you, you know, why turn back now? Why, why turn back to the Lord? You, you messed up. You failed. Forget it. Your Christian life is over. That's a lie. That's a lie, because 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Young people, be quick to be restored. Keep short accounts with God. Memorize 1 John 1, 9. And when you fall, you will. Scott talked about in the last session. The sin nature within is powerful. And this is not meant to say, oh, don't, don't make it a big deal or think, don't worry about it when you sin. It is a big deal. But you are not going to be perfect till the day Christ takes you home. You will fall. You will fail. Confess it to the Lord. 
Be quick to be restored. Don't buy the lie that says, now that you've blown it, it's over. You might as well pack it in. You're done as a Christian. Decision number three. Stay involved with believers. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Over to the right from where we're at near the end of your New Testament. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 24 says, Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. That's what we're talking about this weekend. Holding fast, advancing, moving forward. Well, how do we do that? One practical way, verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Let me just paraphrase that for you. Stay involved with other believers. God did not intend for us to live the Christian life solo. Yes, there are times we have to stand alone, but God has put us in a body. He has put us in a family so that we can encourage one another and pray for one another and exhort one another, practice the one another's. And young people, you need to be in a church family like that. When you go off to school, when you go to work, wherever it is, you need to stay involved with other believers. You need accountability. You need support. You need encouragement. You need to give that to others. You all know, probably everyone in this room has been around a a campfire at some point and and seen the illustration. You've got a nice fire burning there and someone reaches in and grabs one of the logs and just slides it out to the side and in time, the fire is still burning but the log goes out because it's pulled out of the context where the fire is. That context for us as believers is other believers. So watch your schedule. Watch the the, the way you set up your schedule, the decisions you make. Don't don't exclude yourself from being with the people of God, in the family of God. Stay involved with believers. Decision number four, release friends who pull you down. Release friends who pull you down. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul said this, Do not be deceived. By the way, whenever you see Paul saying that, your ears ought to go up, the antennas ought to go up, the radar should get, should get uh, highly sensitized because it is Paul's way of saying, you know what, a lot of people are deceived on this issue. So when you see that in Scripture, and he uses that often, Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. What you sow, you reap. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Be willing to release friends who pull you down. Now understand what I'm saying in this point and what I am not saying. I am not saying that you should have no non-Christian friends. You should have non-Christian friends. Jesus, if you're a believer, Jesus has appointed you to be salt and light wherever he's placed you, in school, at work, on your athletic team, wherever it is, you are to be salt and light. So you should have non-Christian friends. But beloved, there's a fine line, young people, there's a fine line between having non-Christian friends whom you can influence and those non-Christian friends influencing you. It's a very fine line. And a lot of young people deceive themselves and they aren't really able to be objective to see how they are being impacted by the wrong crowd. So, again, not saying don't have any 
unbelievers as your friends, but I word this specifically this way. Be willing to release friends who pull you down. If you don't have the strength, if you don't have the fortitude, if you don't have, 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 have the divine enablement, you've not tapped into that enough to stand strong, then be honest about that and let go of those friends. Maybe you can reconnect with them when you're stronger, but you need, maybe you even need an outside objectivity to say, you know what, that person's not a good influence on you. Be willing to release friends who pull you down. Principle number five, decision number five, guard your heart. Go back with me to the book of Proverbs, the Hebrew book of wisdom. Proverbs chapter 4, a verse that's familiar, I know, to many of you here. And it has many applications. I'm only going to draw one from it. Uh, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence. Some translations say, Above all else. That's how important this is. Above all else, guard your heart. For out of it spring the issues of life. Now, for one thing, you need to understand that to the Jewish way of thinking, the heart wasn't exactly like way, the way we use the word heart. Okay, We say things like, you know, I love you with all my heart. So for us as Westerners, the heart is the seat of emotion. It might surprise you to hear that for the Jewish person, the heart was not the seat of emotion. The bowels were the seat of emotion. Because when you really feel emotional, that's where you feel it. If you've ever been homesick, away from home, you know you feel it in the pit of your stomach. And so for them, it was the bowels. So you need to kind of do some translation in your mind when you see the term heart. For us, it would sound strange to say to your girlfriend, I love you with all my bowels. But that's biblical. That's very biblical. All right? But we don't say it that way. So the first thing you need to understand is when it says guard your heart, it's not just talking about your emotions, but it does include your emotions because for the Hebrew mind, the Jewish mind, the heart was the seat of thought. It was, it was the inner person. It was all of that. So it would involve guarding your emotions, guarding your thinking, all of that. And as I said, there are many applications for this verse, many reasons why and ways you should guard your heart, but I'm going to specify one, all right? Guard your heart in relation to allowing yourself to be drawn to the opposite sex, especially with someone who is an unbeliever, specifically. That's the point here I'm trying to make, that you need to guard your heart, guard your thoughts, guard that you don't give your, your emotions, your affections to Un, an unbeliever of the opposite sex. Now, the reason I'm stressing this, young people, is that I have lost track. I have lost track of the number of young people I have known through the years who were actually doing really well spiritually. And then an unbeliever of the opposite sex comes into his or her life and changes everything. I have seen it happen so many times that it just it breaks my heart. And I've seen it happen so many times that now I've concluded, you know what, it's not coincidence. Uh, you know, I'm not mystical. I don't see a demon behind every bush. Uh, when my truck won't start, I don't say that's the devil, you know. And I, it's, I, but let me tell you something. I've seen this so often that I no longer think it's coincidence that Satan is often involved to do that. To put an unbeliever in the path of someone who's committed to Christ. 
This happened with me in my own life. As I said, I was a sophomore in high school. It was in the fall of the year. I gave my life to Christ. There was, prior to that, there was this one gal in school. I was really interested. She didn't know I existed. She didn't, I mean, she didn't know my name. She didn't know anything. And I was really interested in this gal, and so I thought, I don't have a chance with her. So uh, anyway, I, I gave my life to Christ in the fall, and then as, as the school calendar was unfolding, it was going to be homecoming. And this gal began to talk to all her friends. You know how it is in high school. They talk. They won't talk directly. Talk to everybody. The word gets back to you. And the word was, Brian, this gal wants you to ask her to homecoming. This gal didn't care a thing about me three months ago. I was really interested in her. Now I'm committed to Christ. And it was one of the first big temptations. Will I get involved with a gal who doesn't know Christ? By God's grace, I did not. I've seen so many who have. And it just pulls them down spiritually. This goes all the way back, by the way, to the story of Balaam and Balak in the Old Testament, the book of Numbers. If you're not familiar with it, let me just review it or rehearse it. Balak was concerned about the people of Israel, how mighty they were, how they were growing. And so he wanted to do something against them, and he didn't know how to do it. So he decided to hire Balaam, a prophet for hire. He's going to hire Balaam to curse the people of Israel. So Balaam finally agrees to do it. And every time he opens his mouth to utter a curse, God supersedes and fills his mouth with a blessing on Israel. And Balak is furious. I'm paying you to curse them and you're blessing them. And Balaam said, I can't help it. I'm trying. But it always comes out as a blessing. So Balaam says, you know, I can't curse them because God has decided to bless them. But I'll tell you what you can do, Balak. If you want to devastate the people of God, Cause them to get involved with the unbelievers around them. Intermarriage, sexual immorality. This goes all the way back to that day. It worked then, and it has worked ever since. That's one of the reasons why Paul could say in 2 Corinthians 6.14, don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. That's not a verse that's exclusively or even primarily about dating, courtship, but it certainly applies. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Your emotions, your emotions are so powerful at this stage of your life. It is a fact that between ages of 16 and 24, the pituitary gland at the base of your brain is most active, and that is the gland that most affects your emotions. That's why sometimes teenagers, when they're up, they're really up. I mean, they're bouncing off the walls, and when they're down, they're in the pits. Life is not worth living. And a lot of times parents can't understand, what is the deal? How can you be all over the board like this? Well, part of it's just biological influence. The pituitary gland's going crazy, and your emotions are all over the place. Don't deceive yourself into thinking, oh, I can handle missionary dating. I can date this person, lead them to Christ. It's a sure way. For Satan to get a hook and inroad into your life and draw you away. So guard your heart. Guard your heart above all else. Make a decision. Young people, make a decision that when it comes to the issue of courtship, pursuing someone for marriage, it's not even an option to consider someone who doesn't know and love Christ. It's just off the table. It's not even an option. Decision number six. Ask God to give you the strength to stand. Now, I know this sounds like an obvious one. I mean, you know, this is, just, this is just so basic. Ask God to give you the strength to stand. Well, I know it's basic, but, you know, Peter failed in it, and he wasn't the last. Many have failed. 
Jesus told Peter, you need to pray lest you enter temptation. And instead of praying, Peter slept. And what happened on that very night was Peter denied Jesus multiple times, and he did it vehemently. I mean, think about this, gang. The Bible tells us that he denied swearing with an oath. Now, that's not, don't read that like he was cussing using foul language. That's not what it means. What it means is he was saying things like this. I don't know this man, and in fact, if I'm lying, may God strike me dead. I swear I don't know the man. That's bold, isn't it? Can you imagine doing that repeatedly? Jesus said, pray that you don't enter temptation. Peter didn't pray. He entered temptation and lost Ask God to give you the strength to stand. Don't have a view of the Christian life that you are going to live for Christ if it kills you. It will kill you. It's not that you live for Christ and you're doing it for him. Romans 8 says God is for you. You, Jesus said in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. So don't think you can live the Christian life in your own strength without depending on the Lord. Ask God to give you the strength to stand. Say, God, I want to walk against the flow. I want, to, I want to go against the grain. I want to walk with you long term. Grant me the grace and the strength. Don't bypass that important decision. Number seven, get consistent input from the Word of God. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 2. Over again near the end of the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter says in verse 2, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Now what Peter is saying here, don't misunderstand him. He is not saying if you are a new baby Christian, you should desire the word. That's missing his point. He's using an analogy. He is saying as babies desire milk, you should desire the word. Not just as a baby Christian, as a Christian. Whether you've known the Lord for one month, one year, 10 years, 20, 30, 40 years, desire the word. And desire it like a baby desires milk. Let me tell you, those of you who are parents need no explanation, but others who aren't, babies desire milk. We had three kids, now we have a grandson. He spends the night with us every Thursday night. And uh, it's a good thing you have kids when you're young. I'm telling you, those Thursday nights are a, a joy and a dread for me. <laughs> because when the, the, the little one starts crying and we, you know, my wife's, your turn to give him the bottle, that is brutal. That is brutal. But when a baby wants milk, a baby wants milk. You know, you can say, look at the pretty carpet we chose for your room. They don't care. <laughs> look at where we placed the crib. Look at the curtains. They don't care. They want milk. As someone has said, you know, babies, uh, it's, in, in a sense, it's pretty easy to be a parent of a newborn baby. You give them milk and deal with the consequences on the other end. That's just, for a while, that's what you do. Because they are one-dimensional. They want milk. And Peter is saying this. Listen, just as a baby wants milk, you should want the Word of God. Desire it. Get it into your life. I'll tell you, young people, you will not walk with God against the flow unless you get this book in your heart and mind. You will not. You need to get this book in your heart and mind. And there are so many different ways to do that. I mean, you can do it just by reading the Bible. 
Uh, you can do a Bible reading plan. You can do memorizing scripture. You can say, hey, let's grab a friend and say, let's memorize a verse a week. And every, every Sunday when we see each other at church, we'll recite it to one another. That's a great thing to do. A friend of mine and I did that years ago. And we did two verses a week. We memorized 2 Timothy. And we kept going. We did two verses a week. And we got through Philippians. Just two verses a week. So get this book into your heart and mind. Maybe it's in Bible studies. You, you have studies with people. Or maybe it's listening to Scripture. Just listening to Scripture. Let me tell you a little secret. And don't stone me till I explain. But I don't read the Bible anymore. Well, I mean, I, I read the Bible when I'm studying and so forth. But when it comes to Bible reading, I haven't read the Bible for like three years. Because I listen to it. About three years ago, I thought, you know what? Most believers in the Old Testament and the New Testament didn't have a Bible to read. They had to listen to it. I wonder what I would pick up in an auditory way that I don't pick up reading. So for my reading through the Bible every year, and I try to go through the Bible every year, I decided at that point I wouldn't read through the Bible. I would listen through the Bible. So now I've been listening through the Bible for about three years. And I do pick up things that I wouldn't pick up reading. I'm sure I pick up things reading. I wouldn't listen. But the point is, in the day and age in which we live, there are so many ways, so many avenues, so many tools. You can't say, well, I just don't have time. If you want to, if you desire the Word, you can get this book in your heart and mind. There are many ways to do that. And then finally, principle number eight, guard what you take into your mind. Go back to the left to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, and there are many verses we could use to support this point. But this, is, this one it really sort of sums it up. Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate. Some translations think on these things. This is what you need to think about. Guard what you take into your mind. Now listen to me, young people. This is not an overstatement. The day and age in which you live, you live. Now I'm living in it, but I'm not your age, and so I'm not as you know, enamored with all the whatever, iPods and all the stuff that you have. But the day and age in which you live is the hardest ever in the history of God's people. Because there are more avenues into your mind than ever before. There is radio and television and there are CDs and movies and there is the internet and there is the iPod and the iPad and whatever it is that you have. And if you don't guard what you put in your heart, in your mind, through the computer screen, as Scott talked about last session, in your music, the movies you watch, whatever it is, if you don't, it will corrupt you. It will defile you. And if it, even if it's not corrupting and defiling in the sense of being raunchy, if the, the thinking is unbiblical, anti-God, it will mess you up. You need to be more discerning. Again, I, I don't think this is an overstatement. You need to be more discerning in this area of life than any believers who were before you. Because there are so many ways to get into your mind, to get into your heart, to get into your thinking. And you must guard what goes in. When I was a youth pastor, I used to say this on regular occasions uh, to teenagers. I can tell how you are doing spiritually if you will show me. Now, the the illustration falls because some of you maybe won't even know what this is. But I can tell how you are doing if you show me your cassette tape box. (laughs) 
That's what we had then. Okay? In other words, I, my point was this. Show me your music. Show me what you listen to. I can probably tell you how you're doing spiritually. You listen to anti-God, ungodly, anti-Christ music that promotes rebellion, promotes sexuality outside of marriage, that promotes uh, all of the things that are promoted in music. You're not doing well spiritually. Don't kid yourself. You may try to think you are. And then I would always have this, you know, the young people would say, well, you know, I don't listen to the words. I just listen to the music. Well, then switch. There's, a, there's Christian music of all genres, of all flavors, all types. Then get rid of the ungodly stuff. Guard what you take into your mind. When I preached through Philippians years ago and we came to this text and I talked about this, I challenged our congregation. I said, I encourage you when you go home today after the service, take a three-by-five card, read, write Philippians 4.8 on the card and tape it to your television. I don't mean to the screen where you've got to look around the card to see the play. I'm talking about, you know, like to the bottom of the top, that's a reminder to you is what I am watching. Does it, does it go through this filter okay of Philippians 4.8? And that goes with what you watch, uh, what you look at on your computer, what sites you go to, music. It just applies to all the tech stuff that bombards you as a Christian young person today. You want to walk with God long term? You want to walk with God against the flow? Guard your, what goes into your mind. Guard the access to your mind. Young people, I'm convinced after lots of years of ministry, after lots of camps and retreats and, and lots of interactions with young people, that if you are really serious about walking with God, you must take seriously these eight decisions, these eight commitments. Let's pray. Father, I believe that there are many present here who really want to walk with you, who want to walk with your Son, the Lord Jesus, long term. They want to walk against the flow of society, against the direction of so many young people today. And Father, I pray that your Spirit would take these principles, these eight decisions, these eight commitments, and really challenge their hearts with wherever they're, they're not matching up. Maybe it's only with one or two or whatever it is. You know, you know every person per perfectly, intimately in this room. And you know what issues they need to wrestle with. Which of these, which ones really are most relevant to their lives. May they be honest before you. May your spirit bring enlightenment and understanding, resolution to determine that they will walk with you all of their lives and take seriously these issues that will enable them to do that and enable them not to get sidetracked, to not fail, to not fall away, to not defect. We pray that for that in everyone here, that long-term running with endurance. We pray that in the precious, priceless name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus. Amen.